0: You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. If you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We have spent the last two Sundays deep diving into Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at a water well, which is a very familiar passage. And we, you know, we we wondered if we should go through it just all at once, but we've broken it up into three weeks now. This will be our third and final week um, in this passage. The first week we saw how Jesus is the true well with true and living water, Then last week, we essentially saw that Jesus is the true temple where true worshipers worship. They no longer have to go to this this temple or that temple or this hill or that hill. They go to Calvary where Jesus is worshiped. And then this week will be our third and final week, and we'll see how Jesus is the true Savior who turns the wayward into true witnesses. So pray with me as we go to the Word. Lord, thank you already for your kindness to us. Lord, we we gather and there are so many different things going on. There are weak bodies. There is some sickness. There is discouragements. There is just burdens upon our heart. There are wrestlings with sin. There are all sorts of things upon our hearts and minds and bodies as we gather. But Lord, each of us, as we have Already this morning, through your word and through songs that you have given your church, you have, are turning our eyes to you, calling us to take your eyes off of your circumstances. Don't, don't allow that to define your joy and who you are. Look to you. And so you call us, come to me and look upon what I have done for you. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray already you would be encouraging your church, strengthening your church through just looking upon their saving work of their precious Savior. Only you can do that. Only you can do that. Strengthen our hearts in you, Lord. And we pray, now as we open your word, Lord, change us. Stir our affections for you once again afresh. Open up your word. As we sang earlier, open your word to us that we may understand it but not just for knowledge sake, not just so that our heads can be puffed up, so that we truly understand in such a way that it affects our hearts, that it grabs our affections. And we would say, oh, how amazing you are. Oh Lord, may that be so. So stir our amazement of you, stir our affections for you, as we are freshly aware of how amazing you are and your affections for us, the wayward of the world. And Lord, we pray also that you would remind us the ministry you are calling us into as we are the wayward turned witnesses. Remind us, oh Lord, what we are called to stir us. Be exalted in Jesus' name we pray and the church says, amen. Amen. If you would follow along in your word, uh, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27 to verse 42. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the, the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I had ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with with them. And he, Jesus, stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. Amen. Nearly 25 years ago, by the saving grace of God, I came to know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my little, sin-broken, wayward life. I had recently started to attend the Sovereign Grace Church, it's a part of our family of churches, the Sovereign Grace Church in Midland, Texas, which is where I grew up. And I was attending there as an unbeliever, I was a young man, and I I was invited after several months by a group from the church to go to a nearby city, just a few hours away, to connect with another local church and to just serve them in several different ways, to help them brush the the building and clean things up and paint. And one of those things included, or one of the things they were asking us to help with was outreach efforts. Well, I was an unbeliever coming on this group, but I was intrigued to come along. I knew I could brush the floor and I could help paint and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't know Christ, but I was compelled to go with them. The night of one of their outreaches they, they held this outreach in a, in a rough part of town. And they were inviting everyone to come, and they had a gospel presentation, and there were skits and songs, and they had this line down the alley of food that they were serving, so people could just get a plate and walk down the line and have food served to them. And that was where I was all evening, as you could guess. I was serving the corn all night, just faithful little fellow serving the corn there. That was about all I could contribute to what was happening. Later that night, or as I was serving, let me say this, as I was serving, one of the unique things that I had little awareness of, that this would be what was happening. But as I'm serving, I'm listening to the gospel be proclaimed at the same time. So I'm seeing people come, I am serving, and I am hearing the gospel proclaimed to all these people. Later that night, in the middle of the night, around 2.30 in the morning, the Lord applied the truths of the gospel that I had heard earlier to my heart and flooded me with a belief in Him and a love for Him that was never there before. I was the young guy who at one point, as a young one, shook my fist and punched at the sky in a sense, and I yelled out, I hate you to God. That was was me. And so that night at 2.30 in the morning, this flood of life overwhelmed my heart with this love for this Jesus that I had once shook my fist at and said, I hate you so much so that I just couldn't contain my joy-filled tears around 2.30 in the morning my joy and praise and thanks to the lord i literally just kept saying thank you jesus thank you for saving me we were staying in this large room with this group and everyone was asleep across the room it was bigger than this room and my friend at one point tugs on me and he says i think you woke everybody up <laughs> and so i turn around and sure enough, everyone's looking at me like, what is happening to Philip over there? And I just remember saying, Good morning. Good morning. One of the guys said, Phil, what do you have something to tell us? And I said, All I know is that Jesus saved me. That's all I know. My heart was overflowing with amazement that Jesus had died for me, such an undeserving, sinful, person that I was, and yet in his mission to bring people into his family, Jesus would include me. It amazed me that he would come to me at the, in the middle of the night and apply the truths of the gospel to my heart and open my eyes to him to see him rightly for once. And he would fill me with this faith to believe in him and his saving work and to, to know his incredible, undeserving love for me. And it overwhelmed me with a goodness that I had never known before. And I will say it overflowed out of me with a love and a joy for Jesus that hadn't been there before. In fact, when I returned home and kind of entered back into my normal life, I couldn't help but tell everyone about this marvelous Jesus who was now the savior of my life. I didn't have all the doctrine together. When I look back, I'm like, thank you, Lord, for growing me. But wow, I was just amazed that he would call me. And so it just overflowed out of me. I remember being in basketball practice, coming back. It was summertime. I was on the AAU basketball team. We're having these games, and I'm doing layups. And I remember just telling my coaches, I got to tell you, Jesus saved me. And they're like, what are you talking about, young guy? <laughs> what are you saying? Jesus saved me. I'm telling, I'm telling friends and people who I'm hanging out with, Jesus saved me. Let me tell you what he did. Let me tell you about this Jesus. I'm telling friends and family. My dad was an unbeliever. Him and I, my mom said at one point, looking back at my life, she thought one day we would would hurt each other or even kill one another. My dad came to saving faith. People were seeing a, a change in my life, though imperfect as I was. I've shared some of those stories with you in the past in sermons. Imperfect as I was, there was still enough change where people said, Phil is different. And I had to tell them, it was only because of this wonderful Jesus. Let me tell you about it. It's not not my own doing. It's all him. It's all his power, his amazing, marvelous, powerful Jesus. And let me tell you about him, who could take a young man who is hopeless and angry and sinfully wayward and turn me into a witness. And I think that is true for each and every one of us who have come to know Jesus and taken no power on our, of our own could save us. Just Jesus. His might and marvelous power. This wonderful Jesus who could take us as wayward lost sheep and make us His own and turn us into witnesses. That's true of each of us, isn't it? For those in Christ. That's true for each of us. So here's what I would do. I would encourage you on your way home today or over lunch to sit down and just recount what Jesus has done in your life. Specifically, namely, in His making you one of His own. And give thanks. Tell your children. Tell others about it. Share it. And just be amazed at Jesus. Share about the marvelous Jesus who has done wonderful things in your life. Can we do that as on our way home today? That's my encouragement for you. In this passage, we see Jesus move towards the outcast and sinfully wayward. And they come to know him for who he truly is. And they become his witnesses. In the mission fields of the world they live in. And I think this passage stirs our hearts afresh for our Savior and what He has done to save us. But it also reminds us that we too are called with a happy urgency. Hear it. A happy urgency. A happy urgency to enter into the mission fields of Jesus as witnesses for Jesus. And what we find... What we find, we're going to see this today, what we find is that as we enter into the work of being witnesses, there is a fulfillment and a nourishment for our souls that God gives that is like food for weary bodies. That's what we're going to see. We're called as witnesses. And here's the encouragement is as we go as witnesses, there is a food that is otherworldly that nourishes and strengthens us for this call. To labor in these fields. So we're going to see a lot today. Jesus does a lot in these passages. So three sections today. Three sections. First, we're invited to come and see the marvelous mission of Jesus. Come and see the marvelous mission of Jesus. Up to this point in John chapter 4, we saw that Jesus is leaving Jerusalem. And he's on his way to Galilee. And he chose to go through the land in between. In between Galilee and Jerusalem. And that land was called Samaria. And this was a radical thing that Jesus was doing, because Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Samaritans were despised and considered unclean, but what we saw Jesus do was that he cares about the in-between places and people of the world. Praise God, because I was one of those little in-between people. He cares about the in-between places and people of the world and that his, his mission of salvation, of calling people into his family, is actually taking him to the rejected and despised of the world. And being the always purposeful God in human flesh that Jesus is, he stops at a water well in Samaria, the disciples leave to buy food in the nearby town, and a woman comes up to the well to get water, and she meets Jesus there. Jesus offers her living water, which we saw two weeks ago. He offers her living water, and we learn that this water that he's talking about is this overflowing life that swells up within a person and satisfies their thirsty soul and is brought about by the Spirit of God. It's this eternal life that the Spirit gives in a person. And then Jesus calls her out on her sinful life that she's been living. And she's been looking to satisfy her soul thirst in sinful relationship, after sinful relationship, and it's only left her empty and dry, and he calls her out on that. And then in talking to the woman about true worship of God and what that is, Jesus reveals that he is the long awaited Messiah, he is the Christ who God promised would come and save his people from the Old Testament. And now, in today's passage, in verse 27, it picks up right after Jesus just revealed to the Samaritan woman that he is the Christ. It picks up right after that. The disciples return to the well after being sent by Jesus to buy food in the nearby Samaritan town, and they see that he is talking to this Samaritan woman. And how did they respond? they marveled didn't they they marveled they were filled with wonder and astonishment at what they were seeing that jesus was talking to this lowly lady culturally during the days of jesus rabbis and religious leaders didn't talk openly to women in public that was not something that they did women were viewed in such a way that it was a waste of time and even even some viewing it as wrong for a religious leader or teacher to spend time talking to a woman instead of a man. Some even took it so far in believing this that not even to engage in conversations with their own wives in public, lest it be viewed as something dishonorable by others. Yet here, Jesus is talking freely to her. This is not some normal rabbi. Jesus is talking freely to her. It's not a waste to him. Jesus's heart to love his neighbor, despite who they are, just blows straight through the man-made divisions of the world. You see it all in the gospels, don't you? You look at Luke and Acts. Luke, that is one of the truths that Luke highlights about Jesus. How he draws in even ladies to be disciples. That's amazing. For the original readers, they would have been blown away by that. Jesus was breaking through some of these man made divisions. Now we have some people now in today's culture who take that and run with it and even do things that the Bible says not to do in regards to gender roles and all this, kinds of, all this kinds of stuff. But what we see here and what we can celebrate is Jesus, Jesus just breaks through these man-made divisions. He loves his neighbor well, despite who his neighbors are. Praise God. There have been movies made I'm a simple person. I've told you guys, I'm a simple guy with these illustrations sometimes. There have been movies made in our society that wants us to marvel at people with superpowers. These superheroes of the world come and marvel, right? Marvel. But yet the Bible puts Jesus on display and calls us to marvel at something so simple about him. Marvel that he moves towards the rejected and despised of the world. That's what the Bible calls us to marvel at. Marvel that your Savior moves towards people that other people don't even want to talk to. That other people, because of their sin even, have rejected. People who have known the rejection, who, apart from His moving towards them, would be forever rejected by God Himself. Marvel at a Savior who moves towards the wayward. Marvel, Bible calls us to marvel that the most holy and pure and powerful and righteous one of the universe moves towards the sinful and wayward of the world. That's amazing. And it's true for you if you're a believer in this room. The only way you've come to know Jesus is because he moved towards you. Amazing. Don't let that simple truth escape your heart. And not only that, but we're called to marvel at Jesus who turns the wayward into witnesses. In verses 28 and 30, this wayward woman leaves her water jar at the well. She came physically thirsty, but now doesn't even care about her physical thirst. It seems as if she's tasted of something far better and far more satisfying in meeting Jesus. And she goes back into her hometown and begins to call the townspeople to come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Come see. Come and see. She goes back. This, this is, she goes back to the people who have known her wayward life. I've, I've talked to so many believers who see... Jesus has done so much work in me. I know he's done this work, but I can't show my, my, my face back to my family, that, that family member, because I just, of what I did. That conversation, I just, I, just, I just can't show my face to them. But look what, well, look what we see here. She goes back to an entire town that has known her. This town, who she's having to escape them, and so she's coming in the middle of the day while all the other women come in the morning or in the evening. She goes to this town. Jesus just not only does he break barriers, moving towards the wayward, but he stirs within our hearts. I don't even care what they're going to think about me anymore. They need to know about this. Jesus, come and see. Come and see. She goes with that simple message. Come and see a simple invitation. Come and see this Jesus, who is something else, who is like none other, who offers soul-satisfying life and has given me life. Come and see. This is a repeated call. You've known this. That we're calling the sermon series. Come and see. This is a repeated call of the Gospel of John. Come and see this amazing and wonderful Jesus. And those who truly encounter this marvelous Jesus can't help but invite others to come and see and marvel with them. John chapter 1. Philip encounters Jesus. He goes to Nathanael. says, the long-awaited one is here. He is Jesus of Nazareth. Nathanael says... Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip's response, do you remember? Come and see. Come and see. Andrew's walking with John the Baptist. They see Jesus. John the Baptist says, The Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. Andrew says, Where are you going, Jesus? Where are you going? And Jesus says, Come and see. Essentially, follow me. Come. Come and see. And now the lady come and see at the heart of the gospel mission of jesus is this simple joyful invitation to the wayward to come and see now i realize there are times for greater explanation given there will be questions that need to be answered in conversations that may be long-lasting there will be appeals to the hearts of people But sometimes I think we overcomplicate the gospel mission of Jesus when at the heart of the gospel is the invitation to come and see what we have seen. Witnesses, we're called witnesses all throughout John, witnesses. Witnesses testify of what they have seen, right? That's what we know even in the world. Witnesses testify of what they have seen. Witnesses of Jesus Testify of the marvelous things we have seen Him do. Namely, on this side of the cross, what He has done through for us in His life, death, and resurrection. Witnesses, testify of the marvelous things of Jesus and then, and then invite others to come and see that they too may marvel at Jesus. We tell them who He is and what incredible good He has done. And we help them see what that means for sinful and wayward people like us. And then we entrust our joyful invitations to the irresistible grace of God. Don't we? Because ultimately, salvation belongs to the Lord. So we invite with joyful invitations. Come and see. Come and see, friend. You've been drinking from filthy, dirty, Well water, like this wayward woman. Come and find drink for your soul. I know a well named Jesus. Come and see who He is and what He's done. And then we entrust the rest to His irresistible grace. We entrust the outcomes to the God who gives life to the spiritually dead and revives the spiritually thirsty with his living water, and we just keep inviting. Come and see, maybe even the same people, come and see this Jesus. I just want you to see another glimpse of him. Can I tell you this about him? I just want you to see how kind he's been to you, how gracious he's been to you, that you keep rejecting him. I just want you to see that food you had today, that food you ate, the food that's in your belly, it's provided by God. That's his care for you. The breath you're breathing, it's provided by him. He's giving you another day to turn and to know him and to love him. Those gifts you have, he gave them to you because he created you. And Colossians says, his Bible says that he created all things for his glory, that he would be exalted. And that's what makes it so sad when you're not exalting him. When you use what he's given you, but yet you use it for self. And you shake your fist at God. But I want you to see. I want you to see how kind this God has been, how patient he's been with you. Come and see. Come and see. We keep inviting. We keep coming with with this gospel joyful invitation for the thirsty. Come and see neighbor. Come and see co-worker. Come and see son. Come and see daughter. Come and see family member. Come and see friend. Joyful invitations to come and see. At the heart of the gospel, a simple invitation. It bothers me. When I meet Christians, and the first thing things out of their mouth is, "Oh, what's your eschatological view?" <laughs> Jesus is coming. So turn. If that's where we start our conversations, when we meet somebody, we don't care one bit about them. We care more about being haughty about our eschatological view. When what we need is to care about them as a person. What's your name? I thought we start there? Are you from here? Are you new to the city? Do you have friends? Do you have a family here? Can I help you? Do you have somewhere to eat tonight? Not, are you post meal, all meal, pre meal? Saints, that kind of stuff wrecks my heart. That is not the first impulse we should have. Jesus moves towards a wayward woman. The holy God of the universe moves towards the most filthy living woman that she could be. And yet he talks to her about living water. He offers her life. Sometimes I feel like we get in this mode where we offer people death, calling people to come and see and offer them life in Jesus. And what do we see happens with this wayward woman who's now a witnessing woman? What do we see happen? She goes back to her hometown, to their town where people knew how she had lived, and invites them to come and see Jesus. And what happens? people begin to come. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because of her testimony. They knew who she was. They knew the sin she had lived. But now to see, to see her come and say, come and see this Jesus, it was enough of a change for people to say, something's different here. I need to come and see this. This is real. It keeps going. Verse 40, then they, 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 they then invite Jesus to stay with them. And what does Jesus do? He stays for two days. I wish we could just, I wish we could take just each Sunday, just two verses and just unpack it. How rich that is that the Savior of the world would stay with these outcast people for two days. And it says, and many more believed in him. Verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We invite people to come and see so that they may know for themselves. The story of Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman culminates into this one sentence. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. That's the the culmination of this whole section of the Samaritan woman, where this passage begins with Jesus being unknown, and he's called simply a Jew in verse 9. And then, sir, listen to the progression, how it just builds. Jew in verse 9, and then, sir in verse 11 and 15 and 19, to then prophet, verse 19, to then Christ, in verse 29, and then to this defining moment of the story, verse 42, Indeed, this is the Savior of the world. And here's what's amazing. It is the rejected, outcast, despised, and unclean people group, the lowly Samaritans who are given the privilege by God to declare it first amazing. Our God does things in otherworldly ways. You would think, why did he do that for Nicodemus? That's the religious guy. But he goes to the Samaritans, and there's this progression that builds to where they finally say, indeed, this is the Savior of the world. How marvelous, how astonishing is the mission of Jesus. Listen to this from J.C. Ryle. I love J.C. Ryle, an English pastor from the 1800s. He says, How much astonishment every fresh conversion occasions. What surprise is expressed at the change in the heart, life, tastes, and habits of the converted person. What wonder is felt at the power, the mercy, the patience, the compassion of Christ. It is now as it was 1800 years ago. The dealings of Christ are still a marvel. Come and see and marvel at the person and work and mission of Jesus. But Jesus isn't done. He he takes a moment in the middle of this passage. If you notice, as we read through it, it's sort of this passage that's moving all over the place. He takes a moment in the middle of this passage to teach his disciples. There are these incredibly spiritual and otherworldly things happening, but it's almost as if his disciples need help to see it. They are still concerned about physical things, food and Jesus eating. And it's as if he wants them to see and be aware that there are greater, more profound things happening than just what they see with their physical eyes. That's our second point. Taste and see the fulfilling food of Jesus. Verse 31 through 34. So all the commotion is happening. The wayward woman has become a witness. People are coming out from the town to meet Jesus, and the disciples are concerned that Jesus needs to eat something. After all, they were sent to buy food from the town and bring it here now, and so they are urging Jesus to eat. And Jesus tells them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they're confused. They're not understanding. They're asking, did did someone bring him something to eat already? We don't understand. They are seeing just merely with their physical eyes, whereas Jesus is always thinking on deeper, otherworldly levels. The Gospel of John shows us this several times. It's just reminding us that Jesus is otherworldly, and often we are prone to see things through worldly eyes. But he is breaking into our normalcy, and he's just shattering it with his otherworldliness. He says this, the Gospel of John shows us this. In chapter 2, he says he's going to destroy this temple. Or he says, to destroy the temple, and on the third day, I will raise it up. And people think he's talking about the physical temple. And so they're confused. In reality, he's talking about his body. John chapter 3, the very next chapter, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he tells him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus thinks he's talking about a physical birth. And so he's confused. How can people be born twice, Jesus. But Jesus is talking about a new birth in the hearts of people that's brought about by the Spirit of God. In John chapter 4, the beginning of this passage, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman about living water that he can give to her that will never leave her thirsty again. And she's what? Confused. She thinks he's talking about physical water. When he's talking about the Spirit of God that quenches the soul thirst of people and fills them up with eternal life. And now he's talking about food. It's food that is not of this world and the disciples are confused. Jesus says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. The same way there is life-giving new birth and a life-giving living water for us to drink from that is not of this world and is brought about by God, He's revealing that there is life-giving food not of this world and is given and brought about by God. Jesus was God in human flesh. In his humanity, he still needed to eat. We know that. He's not saying that we should never, ever have to eat. And the reason why I say that is because I'm afraid sometimes... In our culture, there's these impulses that if we just just have enough faith, this won't happen. And I just think we could probably take it that far. People could probably take it that far. We just, you know, I have have food that's not of this world, so I'm not going to eat. Well, no, Jesus needed to eat. But he's saying that there is a soul-fulfilling food that is a source of strength and nourishment that is only found in living in God's word and way. It's Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Right? The mouth of God. Jesus found nourishment and strength in doing the will of God the Father. And in one way, Jesus is uniquely sent by the Father for, for a work that can only be done by Him. But in another way, as we follow Jesus and enter into his work, we too come to taste of the soul-fulfilling food of heaven as a means of strength and nourishment. Let me give you an example. I think I got to see this firsthand at a recent fellowship group, Go Week. So we have Go Weeks. So the fourth week of the month, our fellowship groups, they're, they're gospel outreach weeks, so Go Week. So we either pray for the gospel to go forth, or we're entering into that labor of going forth. And one of the recent ones that we did with the Vest Group is we went to the Line Park, and people gathered, moms gathered, some of them brought their children, moms came, young ones came, teens came, men came, and we gathered at Green Line, and we prayed. Josh helped cast vision for what we're doing and the mission there. And then we said, hey, let's just, some of us can walk around, and as we walk, Maybe a gospel conversation will happen with someone. Maybe we can ask someone how we can pray for them, and that will lead to sharing Christ with them. Or let the kids play, and who knows? As they play, just maybe, it'll strike up a conversation where we can invite someone to come and see Jesus. As we gathered at first, it's funny, because it's the end of the day, and we're gathering, and everyone's kind of coming, and everyone's happy to see each other, but there's this reality. Everyone's kind of tired, Right, It's kind of quiet. We're a little bit uncertain of what what awaits us. We're a little tired. We pray, and then we go. And about two hours later, we gather back, and here's what I saw. We're coming together, and it was as if this refueling of joy in the hearts of God's people As we're walking up, we're hearing laughing and people talking and they're sharing about what the Lord was doing. And and I'm just seeing these huge smiles on people's faces and we're energized. There was this nourishment and strength that was given to God's people in that moment, this joyfulness that when we walked up to the park, we were tired and sort of dragging and weak. And then as we're leaving, after engaging in his work, hearts full, faces happy joyful, overflowing bodies strengthened by the Lord. You know what I think happens in those moments? And I'm sure you have felt that. I'm sure you have felt that way. You get done talking to a neighbor or maybe even a child, one of your own children. You're wrestling, you're struggling, and you're able to get to the gospel and you share it with them and there's something that just strengthens you and says, that was good. That was good. I feel refueled for this labor, for this work. I think what's happening in that moment is we have tasted, we've entered into the work of the Lord, and we have tasted of the soul-fulfilling food of the Lord. That's what's happening. We're following Jesus, and we're feasting upon the fulfilling food of heaven in those very moments. That's what Jesus models to us, and I think that's what we're called to enter into. Here's what's interesting. Often we actually think that we have to feel nourished or strong or joyful before we enter into the work of the Lord. But what we see here is that as we enter into the work of the Lord, as the Lord entered into the work, as we enter into the work of the Lord, we are nourished and strengthened and filled with joy as if fed with this fulfilling food that is unseen. As we walk in this labor, as we walk in it, you want to be nourished You want to be strengthened? You want to pursue joy? I think often we think of go to the Word, go to fellowship, right? Sing. That's true. Do those things. But we leave it to the exclusion of enter the work of the Lord. Tell people about this wonderful Jesus. And have your heart and mind refreshed with how good and sweet he has been to you. And there in that labor is found a heavenly food for your soul. Have we ever thought about that? The pursuit of joy is on the pathway of working in the Lord's work. The pursuit of joy, strength, and nourishment is found in entering into His work. So first we come and see the marvelous mission of Jesus, then taste and see the fulfilling food of Jesus, and last, look and see the fruitful fields of Jesus, verses 35 through 38. As the Samaritans are leaving their town and coming out to Jesus, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, says, it's like, imagine that, they're in this field, there's people coming from the town, marching towards them, and Jesus says, look, you're asking me about food. Look up. Look up, and what do you see? Three times, look, lift up your eyes, see That the fields are white with harvest. See what God is doing. See what God is purposing in this seemingly unexpected stop in Samaria. See that God is gathering a harvest of people in the unwelcome, in between places. This is the work of the Lord that Jesus has given himself to. And it is the work his disciples are to give themselves to. To laboring in the fields of gathering people to know him. Just like in physical fields, there is planting and harvesting, sowing seeds and reaping its fruit. So it is with these fields of people being gathered to follow Jesus. But in the economy of this heavenly field, it's different than the world's field. The economy of the heavenly field of the Lord is different than the world's economy. Jesus points that out in verse 35. He says, don't people say, there are yet four months and then the harvest? It's, it's as if he's highlighting the typical physical rules we live by in harvesting. You have to plant something and then you have to wait four months before anything is seen. And it's like Jesus is saying, you are accustomed to seeing fields where there must be time in between sowing and harvesting. But this field that I'm calling you to walk, work, work in, this field that you're seeing happen that involves people is different. different. I just sowed seed in this field and the harvest is already taking place. Hence the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan people coming to Jesus. The seed was sown and immediately there was harvest seen. In Jesus saying this, it is a fulfillment. John is filled with Old Testament fulfillments just over and over and over again. And I love it. I hope you grow to enjoy seeing Old Testament fulfillments in Christ It was as if he's pointing to this fulfillment from the Old Testament that was looking forward to the coming of Christ that was entering into the last days, that was entering into the end age of, of the world. There would be this time of miraculous and supernatural fruitfulness. The people would have thought that it was pertaining to their own personal fields, but Jesus is connecting it to the spiritual fields of gathering people, Amos Chapter 9, verse 13. He says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. It's saying, it's saying there would be these days coming when the sower is working, he's sowing seeds, he's laboring and throwing seeds everywhere, and the harvest is coming so quickly that the reaper or the harvester is having to work right alongside the sower. They're having to work together. The sower is sowing seeds at the very same moment right behind them. And over here and over there, there's harvest bursting forth out of the ground. And so then the sower and the reaper are working together and they are rejoicing together at their labor and at the harvest. it's It's as if Jesus is saying, That long-awaited day, that supernatural day in time has arrived because I have arrived. The disciples were seeing the harvest of people come marching their way. And Jesus says, some of us sow and some of us reap. And even now you are reaping what others have sown. Namely, that Jesus is the one who sowed the seed of the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan town. But yet here the harvest is coming to them so they're reaping, but they haven't even sown. Jesus is already at work. And he's calling them to enter into this labor. To work in the fruitful fields of the Lord. And the same is true for every disciple from generation to generation. Disciples called as witnesses, who are called as sowers and reapers. To enter into this fruitful field of the Lord. It doesn't mean that every time we share the gospel, that person is immediately going to spring up as a harvest of the Lord's field. You know that. You know that. That's not what this is saying. It doesn't mean that every time we share, there's an immediate harvest. But it does mean that there could be. It does mean that there could be. It means that there could be a harvest at that very moment and you don't know. It does mean that in God's field there is harvest constantly bursting forth That in this field, there is miraculous and unceasing fruitfulness. And so as seeds are being sown, as gospel truth goes out all over the world, and people are invited to come and see Jesus at any moment, in unexpected, in between places, among unsuspecting people, eternal life can bloom in their hearts through the power of the Spirit, stop them in their tracks, just like he stopped me that night, and turn them towards Jesus to begin loving and following him. Any moment... Some people, they point to those who are reformed in faith, right? We believe in a sovereign God who's sovereign over salvation. And so they say, how are you even motivated to share the gospel? I can look them in the eyes. I'll look you in the face. Some of the most passionate sharers of the gospel are people who are resting in the sovereign grace of God. Because we know at any moment he could do this work. And when he moves, it's powerful. And his irresistible grace truly is irresistible. And that night, even for me, and reflect on your own life, I had heard the gospel before. But that night when I heard it, the Lord chose to do something different. He chose, that is enough. You've gone that way long enough. Harvest time. And I am so glad, precious saints, doesn't that make you glad? Oh, my What confidence and hope that gives to people like us. Just little, weak harvesters. Just little, weak sowers and reapers. As we go into the sphere of life God has given us to try to just be faithful with the little field He has called us to work in, knowing that as we sow, some of us can't even throw the sowing far, it's just as we sow little seeds of gospel truth at any moment there could be harvest take place among the easy places, among the hard places, at work, in our homes, in our family, among our children, among the people that have rejected time and time again. At any moment, there could be harvest bursting forth. It fills us and motivates us with a gospel hope to keep sowing among all people in all places. And it urges us to get to work, doesn't it? It urges us to not lose heart. Don't lose heart as you sow the gospel to your children. Don't lose heart as you sow the gospel to your friend. Don't lose heart as you sow the gospel to that wayward parent. At any moment, you don't know At any moment, there could be harvest from this fruitful field of the Lord. And so we sow our hearts out. Listen to this from J.C. Ra. We are about to be done, I promise. I know it feels hot in here. I might just be me. I don't know. In the day, speaking of the Samaritan woman, in the day of her conversion, she became a missionary. She felt so deeply the amazing benefit she had received from Jesus that she could not hold her peace about him. Hear the motivation? It's not drudgery. It's not, oh, I've got to go work. The slave driver, Jesus, I've got to earn his love for me, so I'm going to go work for him. No, it's out of a heart bursting forth that's saying, I can't believe he loves me. I can't believe he would call me into his family. And I want others to know it. I want others to know him, to come and see. The motivation of our heart is affection for Jesus. Not guilt and shame, affection and gratefulness. He goes on, he says, She used no difficult arguments. She attempted no deep reasoning. She only said, come and see. Out of the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke. That which the Samaritan woman here did, all true Christians ought to do likewise. The church needs it, the state of the world demands it. Common sense points out that it is right. Everyone who has received the grace of God and tasted that Christ is gracious ought to find words to testify of Christ to others. Precious Saints, How have you come to know Christ? It was because there were faithful little witnesses, sowers and reapers, who were laboring in the fields of God. And by God's grace, you are the yield of that harvest. Someone labored. God uses laborers. He chooses to. He used a sower and a reaper in your life and you are the yield of their labor and of God's grace. You are a product of grace. I love that. All of us, a product of grace. And as Jesus has received us as one of his, he calls us to then enter back into his harvest fields as glad, happy laborers to join in the labor of sowing and reaping, to join in the joyful invitation Come and see this Jesus who is marvelous. Let me show him to you. Let's pray.